Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can I just say that I love Monty Don? I love Monty Don. And every time we include this, it gets cut out. So that's all we're going to say. Monty Don, Monty Don, Monty Don, Monty Don. Ring, ring. Hello, Homo sapiens. Hello, it's Will Young. Hi, Will Young. This is Chris Sweeney. Oh, do you want to start the final episode of Series 3? I think we should. <gasps> Drop the phone. Let's go. All righty. Coming up on the show this week, we have John Amici, who's the first gay out basketball player in the NBA from Britain. Now a psychologist. He is wonderful. Oh, we have your answers to our Twitter question, which is what songs remind you of your ex? Agadoo for me. And we meet someone on the final leg of our US tour. William's going to Morocco tomorrow. You're going to go and get that rug. I'm going to find out because this is literally like an, it's like an episode of Scooby-Doo Cracker. <laughs> well, <laughs> join the two. Same, same. You've got Scooby Cracker. Throw in Pop, <laughs> throw in Popeye, and you've got a winner. I thought you could say throw in Popeye. And I was like, oh, we're back there, are we? Should <laughs> <laughs> I tell you about how it started, Popeye? Um, <laughs> I actually there? found out yesterday how Popeye started. Go on. I can't share this on air um, for legal reasons. I don't know where the shop is. But it is in the middle of the souks in Marrakesh. And the souks are all this huge warren of different shops. I'm wringing my hands. <laughs> and um, I don't know where this shop is. I don't even know how I got there because I was on the phone to Robin Young, my dad, uh, who wanted to speak French to pass us by. Oui, oui. So I had him on speakerphone and we were looking for shoes for him. Lovely. Yeah. And he, all he kept on saying was, plus grand, plus grand, which means bigger. So I'm going out there. Cracker is going out there to find the shop. Really? And I am seething. And you know what I'm like when I'm seething. Good on you. Yeah. I like it. I'm going to take him down. And I want a freebie. Do you think, it, you're going to get Robin Young to mediate? So you're going to hold him out on FaceTime and go, ce n'est pas acceptable, <laughs> things like that. No, I'm just going to go on a big old rant and say mm. this isn't good enough. And they don't like that. Did I tell you about the time in Thailand when I lost my phone? No. And so I was taking my clothes to be washed because I was staying in a hotel for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I was taking my clothes to be washed outside the hotel because the hotel charged a lot of money. Much cheaper. So I went out onto Clever the main clock. street along the beach. Cheapy, cheapy place to wash your clothes. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> Called the sea. And I knew. <laughs> Why is he you pouring just... <laughs> aerial liquid into the shore of our I just idyllic put holiday? all my clothes on and, and poured it all over me and used the sand. Bubble bath. <laughs> I'm forever blowing bubbles. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. And um, I'd left my phone in the bag, the laundry bag. Oh, no. Went back later. I left my phone here. No, you didn't, sir. No, you didn't, sir. I was like, this isn't my first rodeo. I left my passport in a taxi in in the middle of Nairobi when I was 19. I got that fucking passport back. I tracked the taxi driver down to his house, family house in the slums. Wow. And got that that passport back. They call you the truffle pig. Exactly. So I went to the local 
back rub place mm -hmm. and said to her, she's taken my, my phone and she's not telling me. And then I went to the local shop and said, that woman who's running the laundrette has taken my phone. She's not telling me. And I went to five shops that surrounded the laundrette. This isn't Cracker. This is Rosemary and Time. That's why I wanted to call the podcast. And um, shamed them. And then when I went back to get my clothes... No way. Oh, hang on, sir. I, I, I think someone might have found your phone. <laughs> no <said>. way. <laughs> what else have you been doing this week? I had sex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How was that? It was really good. It's a, it's a need, and yeah. I need it sometimes. Yeah. Hey, can I get an amen to that? Yeah. And, and I brought my A game. Did yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Really? I thought, 40? Yeah. I'm going to bring my A game I'm going to gonna sing for my supper. <laughs> <laughs> Watch um, this. Tushy work. Yeah. There we go. Wow. So There's that, something about a spring in your step after you've had sex that is un, unreplaceable, is there? Yeah, like, ba, 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 Hello. Do you feel like you're sprinkling magic dust everywhere yeah. you go? Oh, you look amazing. Me. Hi, you? Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry we had sex on you last night. <laughs> <laughs> I will feed you later. Oh, <laughs> Daddy wasn't cross. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't shouting because I was cross. <laughs> shut them out of the bedroom. You have to shut them out of the bedroom. You've Fair got me. to. Have you ever had an animal watch you have sex? It's so disconcerting. It's yes. unbelievable. My friend, when uh, you catch well, our their friend eye. Susan Hildebrandt's dog, Oscar, that happened with me and Connor. Yeah. Really? But he didn't like Connor, so he'd get in, uh, in between us. Really? Like, oh, but any so you have had a threesome. <laughs> Chris, yeah. do you remember when we went to America? Vaguely. <laughs> do you remember, well, I did knock you out for most of it. Do you remember when we spoke to Natalie, the Uber driver? I do. Episode one, season three. Well, now we've come to the end of the season, the end of the US tour. Do you remember when we spoke to Warren, the Lyft driver? How brilliant was he? Because we got in the car, oh going to set God. the context. The car we were driving had broken down. On top of a hill. Chris and I were very calm, actually, weren't we? We were. I think we even changed clothes for shits and giggles. And um, the car got towed and we got had to get picked up by this thing, by, by someone else, blah, 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 blah. We found Warren. We got in the car and Warren was playing some quite great sort of 90s R&B music, that kind yes. of thing, a lot of female vocalists. And then we, we struck on a conversation about... We started talking with him about Mariah Carey and... It. That boy had really in-depth knowledge at his fingertips. So you and I started texting going, I think he's gay. Yeah. I think we should interview Yeah. So we got out the microphone, drew straws about who was going to ask, and Will got to ask this. Are you gay? Yes. Ah, well, I didn't, I didn't ask you. No, I didn't ask you. I'm gay. How was it growing up? I'm gay. Chris gay. It was actually very, like kept subtle because both my parents are pastors of a church and my grandfather's a bishop so I would sing for him everywhere he went and then they would see me and I would have to be straight faced very stiff so I wouldn't give any mannerisms or things like that and nowadays it's gotten much better much better and when did that sort of change for you when you started feeling like you could? It would actually have to be last year after my fiance passed. It was after that when I moved back home with my parents that we kind of rekindled 
M got more of an understanding of each other, and they stopped trying to be controlling and just tried to love me for who I was. They didn't understand the connection we had until they seen how broken I was when he was gone. You know what I mean? What happened? Do you uh, he is sickle cell anemic, type SS. So eventually the iron went to his heart and clogged his arteries to where his heart couldn't pump. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. How are you doing now? Uh, now I'm doing better. I moved back out again and I'm dating again, finally. But How did you meet? How we met actually back on MySpace. That's how old it is. <laughs> That's so it was amazing. Like seven years ago, almost eight years ago. On a wider context, how do you feel as a gay man in America in 2018, living in California? Oh, California. <laughs> California. California is probably the most diverse from when I've traveled across the state last year. Um, it's not so hush hush as it is like when I went to the South, to Mississippi and Louisiana, like no one came out their homes and said, spoke of being gay. It was always, oh, they tried to find you on an app or they tried to find you online. And then they try to catch you while you're in their area before you leave. Cause that's what they do. From the people we've spoken to, like going all over and trying to get a breadth of an idea of what it's like to be LGBT in America at the moment. like. Do you think there are specific challenges for queer people of color compared? Um, There definitely is. More of corporately, because my friend, who's also gay, he is in a relationship with a trans male right now, and he was working for a business where they would hire people to go out to do warehouse jobs and other uh, agency, if you will. And they were discriminating against trans at his job. And he quit because he found out about it. And they were doing it not because they were unqualified or just because of their, who they identify as, who they are. And we didn't find that very right. Do you think, because I remember speaking to someone back home and they talked to me about racism within the gay community. So, because he's black and gay, Mm. and he would say that some clubs wouldn't, gay clubs wouldn't let a group of black gay men in to a club. And so that was just his experience. Does Mm. that resonate at all? I've never had a problem getting into clubs because I was never a club goer. My ex-fiance was a club goer. He loved to go to LA to Tiger Heat, which is on Thursdays, Tuesdays, and Sundays. And that was a predominantly Caucasian club. I didn't know of it until he told me. The Blacks would normally go like VIP, um, Rage, and other little smaller clubs. And I did not actually intermingle with a lot of people. Hmm. Most people kept to themselves, even if they were cross-dressing or if they were trans, they would all stay in their own ethnic groups. Oh, really? Yeah. It's it's starting to change, which is great, but it's way overdue. It is. It's very much overdue. It's just, people are so scared of cultural appropriation now that instead of just taking the best and being happy with it, everybody wants to be separate but equal. Which is kind of what it used to be was separate but equal when it really wasn't. 
That's so interesting, yes, the cultural appropriation. Do you think that fear really does separate people more at the moment than mm. people finding common ground? Yeah, but it takes people that are just very open and pe- people persons. Like my fiance, he would draw, go up to and dance with anyone on the dance floor. He'd say, oh, pick someone out. Pick someone, oh, I'll go dance with him. It doesn't matter if his height, his skin color, what race he was. It didn't matter because it was all in good fun and people need to learn how to just have fun again and stop being so serious. Yes. Oh God, I don't know why he makes me slightly well up. I love him. He was so delicate and sort of fragile looking and then so intelligent. Is it because we were visitors that he opened up in such a nice way or do you think that's because we are gay as well and therefore we have this common ground? Because he was so lovely to take the time to tell us that story i think it it could be both of those things Mm. yeah and i think we showed interest maybe similar to like you'd come from the same hometown you know yeah right you know the corner store what i love is that i wouldn't have expected him to have that story and it was really it was sad you know his story was sad he Mm. was also really kind of strong again i just thought it was one of my highlights really was talking to him oh michael by the way the waiter got yeah. in touch saying he listened to his episode yes. and he loved it. Oh, good. That's cool, isn't it? We should probably talk about... Oh, Brunei. Brunei. Yeah. Yeah. So big news this week is the Sultan of Brunei. He's sort of adhering to a stronger Sharia law, I think mm-hmm. it is. So one of the things is that homosexuality, the act of anal sex or two gays being together... You can be stoned to death. You can be stoned to death or whipped to death. So that has been brought in. Mm. As well as that, adultery, you can be stoned and whipped to death. And if you are caught as a thief, you can get your hands chopped off. So George Clooney, Ellen DeGeneres and Elton John have gone for the fact that the Sultan of Brunei funds these big hotels. Some of them are in England. There's the Dorchester and 44 Mm. Park Lane in London. And then there's one in Windsor as well. They're around the world. So George Clooney wrote this brilliant letter or did this um, interview and said, you can't shame them, but you can go hit them where it hurts, which is the money. Admittedly, Mm. you know, 12 luxury hotels around the world is, uh, you know... It's funny how that's been going to dent a man with 15 billion um, pounds in the bank, but... It's a really complicated issue, but it's funny how people keep sharing this thing about don't go to these really exclusive hotels that like zero 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 point zero percent of the population go to. That's not really the issue, is it? I know. I do think that's interesting, but then, I, then what has happened from it? Um, he, I mean, he's a clever man, George Clooney. So, I've seen Ocean's Eleven. I mean, how the hell did he crack that whole? I met him thing? in real life. Did you? Yeah. Go on. Him and Brad Pitt. When? When did, the, why have we never had this conversation? I don't know, because I think I file them into the bank of like, did that really happen? That was crazy. Yeah. yeah. It was Live 8. Yes. And it was in, they did one in London and one in Edinburgh. Edinburgh. When when Madonna said, come on, clap you motherfuckers, that one. Yeah, she did that. And I think she flew all her crew over in private jets and things like that, which was Didn't quite she funny. she like land a helicopter in the middle? Something like that. Like I think she basically poured gasoline everywhere. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, we are not responsible for any of these statements that we make at this time. No. Um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney. I was another James Brown story. I was 
hanging on the coattails of James Brown, which is not an easy Inseparable, thing. you two. Ah, can't help myself. And uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt were there. And let me tell you, George Clooney looked like a god. Well, not my kind of man, oh. but looked like... You're a broad church. Looked like a god. That's what my doctor says. Next, next to... Next to Brad Pitt. Next to Brad Pitt. Wow. I mean, that's a comparison. It was like there was light shining out of him. Really? It really was like, oh, I mean, it was like. That was just James Brown behind him. It was like, wow. it was like oh, he's checking his falsetto. <laughs> it's like, shit me. Really? Yeah. Tall or little? Tall. Mm. Yeah. See, I think that always adds an extra shine. It was, it was sensational. But here's my theory on, on the whole hotel thing, okay? Yes. Because reading around the issue... One of the universities, Dundee, I think, is looking into withdrawing or retracting the doctorate that they gave the Sultan of Brunei. Oh, yeah. And then Oxford University has said they have no current plans to withdraw. And I'm just like, it just does no favours for them. It makes me Mm. so angry. Mm -mm. Why would you not, in my opinion, they'd be getting a lot of money from... Mm. him I guess but it's like why would you not withdraw it so here's the thing because then it's not just about people not staying there you then go to all the businesses that have because all those hotels have ballrooms and function rooms you start hitting up those businesses and going do you really want to use that place that's Mm. being funded off that money and okay it is a little bit of a tenuous link but no business wants to look bad Mm. and they've done it already they did it with this American family I can't remember the name to do with the arts world and I just think I don't know I don't think it's a bad thing because you've got to show solidarity that's the thing like you've got to show solidarity yeah you're right and I want to show support for our brothers and sisters in Brunei and isn't it brilliant to see a straight man in the public eye standing up for LGBT rights yes it really is to see that it's not just being ring fenced as a problem for us lgbtq pluses probably why it's got more press as well i think yes and right it's him and it's monty don isn't it that's it when monty don shares it then we know i think that's that's the benchmark for when something's gone viral isn't it i think so yeah now then girls got a record to shift no girls gotta eat so we thought William's got a new single out that's all about your ex, isn't it? An ex. <laughs> well, it's, it's not. A, it isn't Sorry. about a sp- specific ex. No. It's about all of the fuckers. Yes. Um, no, it's not. But it is a song called All the Songs Remind Me of You. So we thought we'd ask on Twitter, which song reminds you of your ex? I think a blatant plug is all right, isn't it? Absolutely. We're not under Monopoly laws or whatever it is. We're not. Now, William, when is the album out? Let's, can, let's finish that plug. No, note my eyes oh, go vacant because as go. you said no artist ever knows they I, never know I, I, I want to I want a plug for June the 14th okay let's you can pre-order it now good and this I'm on good tour stuff. and you're on tour and I've actually had some quite good ideas on tour good yeah so you are going to do the whole pull the glitter out the thing Adam McCock <laughs> no what <laughs> you can't repeat last tour <laughs> uh, now no, that's what I call a finale I might be doing eat your heart out I might be Kylie. doing a stripping element in it brilliant because the video's um, brilliant me being a male stripper wonderful yeah yeah because I wanted to show solidarity with our sisters that have to do it yeah and and I'd worked out for three weeks so I thought well, I might as well get the body out well exactly so let's go to Twitter and see what they said Liam says, pretty much all of your songs, Will. We used to sing them in the car together. <laughs> Mia culpa. Karen, 
maybe throwing some shade here, she says, you're so vain, dot, dot, dot. People used to sing that to me at school, and I'm not joking. Did they? Yeah, but me. Oh, Mary says, I'm not in love, 10cc. I'm oh. not in love, so don't forget it. Stop there, otherwise we'll be paper publishing. God, I love that song. Do you, did you have the love album when you were growing up? Oh, oh yes. Was Lisa Stansfield on that? Of course. Uh, Dina Carroll. Don't be a stranger. Uh, I don't remember that. Oh, God, do you not? That was a massive I can see the, the cover of it. It was all black with gold yeah. writing. Oh, no, I'm seeing another one. There were two. The the second one was white. White. Good. That one. Good. And that had loving you. Is oh, I e- love. Easy. That's how I first discovered whoever that song is by. Minnie Ripperton. Is that Minnie Ripperton? Mm. La, 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 la. La, 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 oh, We're going to get a big bill. Can't get those high notes. <laughs> Jan says, take a look at me now, Phil Collins. Just take a look at me now. Oh, my God. That and song. then who who covered it? Westlife and Mariah Carey. So what they're trying to do there is create a moment. You know what I mean? And it's like, but the bones of it aren't right. Because Mariah Carey doesn't know who Westlife are. No, no. It was like when Blue sang with, with, no, sang with Stevie Wonder and Angie Stone. Really? In the same uh, song. Wow. On top of a roof, or was that with Elton on top of a no, roof? Elton was in a studio oh, with right. a piano and lots of vertical lights. Yeah, and you just know that they. Some, and this is not. I, it possibly is throwing shakes if someone said this about me, but you just know that Andrew Stone's like, what? Who? Well, yeah, because it's funny because with Elton, <laughs> where, where am I? Yeah, <laughs> Elton's quite plugged into new music. Yeah, so I sort of get why he. Yeah, he. I feel like he might have known, but Mariah Carey doesn't did not know who Westlife was. Absolutely not. I think the fact that she didn't really look at them throughout the whole video. Was oh, probably, and you just know it as well. No. Like she didn't even look at them once. No. That's lots of shade qualified as not shade. Yes. Um, Peter says Hadaway, what is love? My ex bought the album and loved that song. Reminds me of the worst mistake I've ever made. He was an abusive asshole. Well, fucking good it reminds you to not go back there. Yeah, Peter. And you know what? There is a saying, it's only a mistake if you make it twice. True. Which has got me out of many a scrape. Uh, would be a good time to now to mention Smirnoff Soho Angels. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew said... Pick you up off the cobbled floors. Hand me back my chips and pat me on the back. Threw you, the, on my threw you into way. a tuk-tuk. Yeah. Off you go. Now, oh, Rico's got a few here. Say You'll Be There, Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. Don't Play That Song You Lied, Aretha Franklin. Don't know that song. No. Love Is A Losing Game, Amy Winehouse. Oh, yes. Giving Nothing. Me Away, Betty Who. Huh? Missing You, Robin. So quite the playlist. Well, I think the ex had some good taste there. Yeah. Well, you have good taste as well. Rico. Um, when I broke up with Connor, he made me a whole CD of songs. Really? And then he sent it down to the house because we were staying in Cornwall. So I got it sort of two days after we broke up. Was this like... And I put it on in the car and I wept outside, really? outside St. Brewer. I remember Aww. a tractor going past. You right, Will? <laughs> <laughs> Mini Ripperton full volume. He also well. sprayed his aftershave on my pillow when he went home to get his stuff. So when I got home, I was smelling his aftershave. Wow. Yeah, it was a whole... Wow. He knew what he wanted. This the girl like, got me back. Oh, really? Yeah. And she I came said, did you spray did your aftershave? He was like, yes, yeah, someone told me to do that. So that there's a sort of thing to remind you. I think that's called gaslighting, isn't it? 
Oh, goodness. Jack's got... Right, tissues at the ready. Jack says, elbow, mirror ball, and then he's quoted the lyrics. I was looking for someone to complete me, not anymore. Everything has changed. Tears every time, although mainly because it's such a beautiful song. Jeff says, anything by ABBA shows my age. I wouldn't listen to ABBA after a breakup. Well, thank you for all your answers uh, for this episode and across the series. And also, just a little reminder again, Will Young's going on tour. I will repeat one more time. Mm. Will Young is going have a breakdown I mean going on tour <laughs> they're the same thing aren't they <laughs> on stage it's bloody brilliant <laughs> watch yeah. this shit me he's going for it Instagram this <laughs> <laughs> don't remember that one <laughs> Metallica song <laughs> oh your score I'm going to tell you one thing right off the bat now please do I like our guest for this week I really really do John Amici so he was he played basketball in the NBA we do talk about my basketball skills as well yes I may lie about your basketball skills might hush be. hush my little <laughs> puppy um and he's the first out gay basketballer and he's from Britain I think there's hardly been any from Britain that have gone to the NBA so there's that alone which is amazing he's now a psychotherapist he is so intelligent mm. and so erudite and I don't know about you but I just felt like it was a bit of a masterclass in life lessons he's got a real energy like he's fiercely intelligent and i love that and he really wants to talk it out and i imagine he he seeks out intelligent conversation uh, he's I think very you're so right right and wants to get to the guts of everything yeah because i feel like he's analyzed a lot of what has happened to him and he's worked out why and i think i love the fact that he addresses identity and mm. um i know that's where we start with him mm. so we should just dive in Let's press play on the Tommy My First Recorder. <laughs> See, that's the interesting part about identity, right? You can't be black and gay in many people's expectation. Mm. So visually, I mean, I, I, I no longer go to uh, gay clubs, in part because I just, I'm very tired. <laughs> but, <laughs> they are oh exhausting. God, so it really is. It's just it's nine o'clock and I can have wine in my house or I can be in a club and... Uh, fight to get to the bar right that's one but the other part is actually i just don't feel like i belong there mm-hmm. every i get knocked back from the door of, of of them on a regular basis or used to when i used to try it happened yeah, to me yeah, back in the maybe even 10 15 years ago when i thought it was really important that i went to heaven on a regular basis mm. um it was one of those places i just couldn't get into I just what, couldn't get into. What, what do you mean? Couldn't get people in? at the door would just be like, "You're not gay. You can't come in." It's like, Ugh. are you joking? It's exhausting. Mm. Yeah. So what, what, what did they think your agenda was? I don't. I don't know. Troublemaker. I, and maybe if I'm trying to be generous, I say it was during that period where there was that spate of straight blokes doing that weird thing where they wanted to pretend to be gay to get into a club to cause trouble. Mm. I don't did know. That I don't. I don't know. I hear it happened. I don't necessarily believe it but fundamentally people look at me and don't think that so in school for me my experience was I'm the scary stupid dangerous black kid Mm. not nobody would even dare to suggest never mind um, think that I was a gay person as well did you take on that identity that people were thinking of no I'm the smart kid Mm. my my mum taught me when I was young I know who I am I'm Mm. the clever boy that's what I'm all about. My, the only, the, the package that carries around my brain is distracting to people, but it doesn't tell people about my brain. Mm. So how did that then translate to sport? 
Sport was, di- I mean, sport, it's a confusing term for me, actually, because I'm not, I'm not interested in sport at all. Uh, ever or now? No, just ever. I don't find it compelling to watch. I watch as much as I have to. So the NBA's coming to uh, London in January, as it always does. I'm an NBA ambassador, so I will be at the game. I'll be on the floor waving to people, and I will go on, and, and, and the NBA knows this. I will study the game's uh, coming up to the, the actual event in January so I know something about what's going on right now I couldn't tell you what's happening in the NBA if you ask me mm. um, but I'll sound like I know what I'm talking about by the time January comes about the reason I played is, is belonging right We belonging is, is important if you spend your entire life if for you it was a situation of, of both the self-loathing and the, the fear of what other people will think and that you won't people fit in the language the casual language you hear that tells you you you're not welcome you don't belong you're weird you're wrong you're sinful mm. for for black people and black and gay <clears throat> people you hear that same thing always you see how i know where every man's wallet is if i'm in a lift wow. i know where every woman is carrying her important stuff because generally white people will put their hand on men will put their hand on their wallet if i'm in a lift with them no it, it's not it's not it's not it's not unconscious but it's not conscious either it's a subconscious reaction to fear and they see me and they're afraid um and so that's what they do uh, and so because of this i always knew that i was a monster i knew that people saw me as a monster they do see me as a monster i mean uh I always tell people this, you've probably seen it on video. I, I haven't queued up for a cash machine in 30 years. Because if I get in a cash machine queue behind someone, they will cancel the transaction. Shit. It's brilliant no. on Friday night. I, I never have to struggle about getting to the cash machine. <laughs> get straight to the front. But it, it's also, as it's useful, it's also quite saddening as you realise yeah. that there are people who will move 20 yards down the street in order to wait for you to finish and then come back and and do their transaction. So if you grow up in that environment and then you walk into a gym and there is something that you'd rather not be a part of, as in sweating or any kind of physical exertion, which is something I'd rather not be a part of, but you suddenly realize in this environment, everyone looks at you like you fit. Not even like you kink, but like you fit, like you're welcome, Mm. like you could be great. Mm. It's an intoxicating environment to be in. And when you were playing professionally, did you, did you feel like you belonged? There were some teams that I played on where I absolutely felt like I belonged. Well, no, no, that's not true. There were the teams that I played on, I felt like I belonged. Then the, the groups of elite individuals I played it with, that's different. People mistake teams and groups as the same thing, and they're not. So in, over 10 years, I probably played on two teams and a bunch of other that were just groups of elite individuals. On the teams, yeah, I felt like I belonged. Did you turn down the LA Lakers? I did, yeah. For seventeen million dollars? Yeah, it's a bit more than that. But Eighteen yeah. million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, for this is what I, <clears throat> I hate to this is what I read, but I, you said a brilliant quote like, "My word, it, I can now say my word is worth." Yeah, can't be a part-time man of principle. See, now so, that was mm. that's, that's incredible, and you did that because that team. Where were you, Phoenix? No. No, I was in uh, Orlando. Orlando. I was in Orlando. People mistake what I did. I didn't do it for loyalty. Loyalty is a very corruptive relationship. Loyalty is a tit for tat. It's a quid pro quo. You're loyal to people on the idea that they will do something back for you. Yeah, yeah. Do you think so? Oh yes, definitely. Loyalty is about what you do in return. So, what is the word? 
principled. It's principled. I bang on all the time about <clears throat> about acting in a way that's principled, and normally that's only tested in the most menial of ways, right? Giving up the giving up the car park space close to the entrance of the shop to the elderly woman. Mm. Um, I don't know. Giving up the last bottle of milk to some bloke who looks like he needs it, the calcium. It's rare that it gets tested to the extent of everything you've ever hoped for, every team, the only team you've ever wanted to play for uh, in your dreams, and an amount of money that you can't conceive of. So just tell us a bit about the team you were on and where you were going. So I was with the Orlando Magic. I was on a minimum wage uh, contract, which is not something to feel sorry for anybody about, because in the NBA that's significant. Mm. But it's a question of some hundred thousands of dollars, not millions. The Orlando Magic was the only team in the NBA that was willing to give me a chance. Mm. I mean, quite literally, everybody else looked at me and said, you can't jump and you're British, which makes you weird. I'm an academic. Even at that point, I was a considered academic. Um, I didn't have any advanced degrees at that point, but I was considered academic, which is challenging in a sports environment. Uh, I was considered outspoken. I was one of the first sports people to have a blog back in the 1989... Oh, wow. I had a rudimentary um, online blog. It was just, I've got, I've got it <laughs> archived. It's just dire. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm hoping it's not available to anybody else at uh, this stage. That yeah. was another weird thing. And then I just wasn't a superstar. I was, a, I'm a, I was an average NBA player. And they gave you a chance. And Orlando and the coach there, a guy called Doc Rivers, uh, who was not a doctor, um, mm. gave me my shot. Uh, they got rid of three veterans on large contracts in order to keep me on the roster. And I considered that to be um, my opportunity. That was my opportunity in the NBA. I then flourished uh, over a couple of years there. But the first year, I, I did especially well and garnered the attention of 17, 18 NBA teams that summer. Uh, and the team that had given me my opportunity asked me to stay. And I think that's what principal people do. Where does that principledness come from? I had a very good mum. Yeah. I had a very good mum. She was just awesome. I watched her work. I watched the way she interacted with people. I didn't know what I was saying to my mother, but I had a, a friend called Paul when I lived at, in Stockport, the first house we lived in in Stockport. And I remember coming back and having a very earnest conversation with my mother about Paul and saying, look... You know, isn't it? It's great. I've got a friend called Paul, and Paul is amazing. And Paul's been around to the house, and he's amazing. And I, I looked at my mother, and, and I don't know this from memory. I know this because she told me later on. And I looked at my mum and said, uh, Yeah, actually, you know, it's not really fair just to call him a friend, is it really? It's more than a friend, I think. Hmm. How old were you? 11. Sweet. No idea what I was saying. No, no idea what the con. What did she say? She said that's lovely, and she told me about how she is like. That's the day she kind of knew, and then she spent the next nine years waiting for me to talk to her about it. So then, when you were twenty, yeah, you told your mum. You yeah, I, I was not very just over twenty, actually twenty-one, twenty-two, something like that. I wasn't very good with it. I came back, told my mum, told my sister, my sister, ridiculous. I told my, one of my sisters... Didn't go well? No, it was amazing. All my family's amazing about it. Um, I had come back for the summer from America. I was in London. I drove up to Manchester, came to my sister's house, walked into a flat, handed her a letter I'd written, 
and then got in my car and drove back down to London. No, you didn't. <laughs> and that was it. That was the entire of the. That was the entire of the deal. Yeah. But so, were you out to your friends and stuff at that point? Uh, not in not my friends in university. My friends in England. Yes. Right. Oh, and then you went over to America. And then I was so kind of back in who I was back in the in the summertime in Manchester. Uh, was very different than who I was in central Pennsylvania where I went to university. How were you meeting guys and finding a community as a gay oh. man when you were... In central Pennsylvania? When I first moved to Penn State, the week before I arrived, there was a cross burning on the hill. I know it sounds shocking, but it's not that uncommon even now in America, you have to recognise. And it certainly wasn't that uncommon in the, the what is it, late, no, mid-90s? It's central Pennsylvania. Penn State is a very, it's 100,000 students or something like that. It's a massive school. But it is plonked in the middle of central Pennsylvania where around you that it's Amish country, it's Mennonites, it's, it's country folk, um, which is not necessarily the hick connotation that people think. It's just people who are rural. They go, like schools close for the opening day of the hunting season because they know no kid will be there because they will be with their dad shooting deer and then they will bring that deer back and they will be eating it. That's what they do. Sounds like growing up in Berkshire. There you go. So <laughs> it's, uh, it, there was no exploring anything there. Plus I was really focused. My mother had uh, cancer, she died of cancer, but she'd been sick, continued to be in remission and then not and then in remission. So if I'm gonna spend time in America, away from precious time with my mother, mm. it's for a purpose. So my mm. purpose was get a really good degree um, and get into the MBA. So the, if the only, anybody who went to school in the time I went, was there in university will tell you where you could find John, and that is in practice with my team, in the weight room, in the study hall, in the library, in class, or back in the gym. That is, that is it. I didn't go out on campus, four-year course, I didn't go out on campus until I was a junior so when, to have fun. And did that continue... When you started playing professionally, how was your gay life, I put in inverted no. commas? No. No. And was that from a sense of safety as no, much as... No, not even that. It was more that I didn't think I could take my eye off the ball. I just, yeah. I realised I wasn't awesome and that what made me good is my brain. And if my brain suddenly got distracted by, I don't know, cute bloke, yeah. I can't maintain my focus. Plus... Outside the court. Yeah, I just just can't maintain my focus, which has to be, you know, you practice in the summertime six hours a day, lifting, weights, running, playing. And then during the season, it's practice and games. And in the NBA, you play three or four games a week. Uh, The travel is immense. I just didn't think I can afford the distraction. And also in part, I'm just, I have no game. What do you mean? I have no, I don't know how to, if people, I'm fantastic as a, Psychologist, I, I like to think I'm very good at talking to people. But if someone expresses an interest in me, I'm an idiot. Oh, I, I have nothing. I just kind yeah. of, <laughs> I just become 12 and uncomfortable. And then my usual response to that is leaving immediately. Well, this has been very nice. And um, <laughs> so that's what happens if it transitions even momentarily. I have, and plus I don't notice half the time. So I have conversations with people and I. It's only like six months later I realised, oh, they liked me. You were interested, and I'm like, and I haven't talked to you in six months because I didn't think that was the case. When you came back to Manchester, which everyone knows, gay city ever? Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Did you have a community of friends there? I did. Because it's as much finding 
you know, like as you were saying, find belonging in basketball. Yeah. It's belonging mm. within a gay community. It is. It's, it's odd, really. I think I did have that sense at the beginning and then it became very clear to me that I don't fit. I don't and was fit and, in, the, in the gay... I'm not a proper gay person, apparently. Well, I think lots of people think that, actually. To be honest, I think most people think that. Well, it's, there's a specific challenge because the gay community at that time and even now were not inviting to gay black men, right? No, still what, not. What it felt like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I went this year for the first time to uh, Black Pride, mm. which actually isn't very Black Pride, but it's, it's certainly more of a mix of, of the community, such as it is, than you might expect. And I, uh, and I really enjoyed the kind of carnival weird atmosphere of the whole thing in the park in a way that I do not enjoy. The last time I went to Pride, I went because uh, one of our clients has a float in there and I promised I'd go along. Mm. And probably over the course of an hour and a half, six people, five people, six people told me that I was way too old to be involved in this. (laughs) I was like, I am 47. I have a white beard, I'm aware of that, but I am 47. Mm. No, wait a minute. It was my birthday the other day. 48. <laughs> yeah. Do well, that makes all the difference. Already lying about it. Ah, you are way yeah. too yeah. yeah. But it, it, just, it just makes you realise, oh. And then there's the fetish thing. There's the weird kind of, um, I am on some apps. I'm, I think I'm what would be considered a time waster. Uh, <laughs> but I'm on some of these apps. And it's amazing the number of times you'll t- I'll turn it on. And like the first three broops are, I like black. Oh, my oh, God. God. It's like, Really? Is that what you're getting? Is that the vibe I'm giving off? It's like you want black. And what is it you like about black? I just can't wait for that next part of the conversation. Yeah. But you know what it's going to be. Yeah, because because often the, if it's not I like black, it's how big is your cock? Yeah. When you came out, four years, was it, was it after you? Four years after you? Yes, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, publicly anyway. Publicly, yeah. yeah. Teammates, everybody else. We... There was a lot of people. It's one of the interesting things about coming out. I just had this conversation on Twitter with somebody accused me of being a hypocrite because <laughs> I didn't come out while I played. And it's like, no, oh, you didn't know. Lots of people knew. Why is that, that in sport, there are not more people coming out, men particularly, let's say, coming out as gay? So there are, there are lots of out men in sport. Within it? Yes. <clears throat> so how are people normally out is the question. You, in this, uh, say, I don't really count in that context here because nobody knows who I am in this country. So I don't count. But you, you're out on a kind of epic scale. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you say. When you walk out your door, yes, people will people have a sense and know this likely, about yeah. you. You are, that's a unicorn in gay terms. You, Graham Norton, you're unicorns in this respect. Most gay people decide who they're out to every single day. And that's an inconvenience on the one hand. But for many people, it's, it's good self-preservation because it means that in your workplace, you haven't had the conversation about your partner with the guy who's always a dick to you. Mm-hmm. Because why would you give them some ammunition? Mm-hmm. You haven't told your boss because you know he's a, a homophobe and you would like to regress in this company because it's good for you and eventually you'll be powerful enough to do something about it. So most people are out to the people they are connected with and care about. It's something you earn. Right, Because when you come out to somebody, people always make this mistake with coming out, whether it's a disclosure about your sexuality or anything else. When you reveal stuff that's about you to other people, especially about your identity, 
People mistake it as a statement about the individual disclosing, and it's not. When you come out to somebody, it's a statement about the person you're disclosing to. I'm saying to you, here in my hand is a precious piece of yes. my identity. Yes. I give it to you, knowing that you will take as good a care of it as I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. What do you it's get a in? profound statement about the people around you. What you did, that's different. Because you then throw your precious identity into the hands of people you know will want to throw it against a tree. Mm. It's a very difficult thing. So in sports, there are a ton of people who are out. It's not for me to expect other people to come out. Yes. It's not for me to say you should. However, sometimes I think, oh, go on. I, I want, on. I want people like, to do it. Don't you want to? Yeah. I get a lot of criticism, I think, from... from well, I mean, I get no... Uh, I think they even know I exist, but sometimes from like the gay community, I get some criticism because I don't say everybody should be out because I am not bold enough to. T- I can't take the um, collateral damage. I can't take the. I tell every sixteen-year-old they should come out, and maybe you don't get thrown out, but maybe your dad just decides he's not going to pay for you to go to university. So, <laughs> am I going to take responsibility for the next forty years of your life that we know will be less well lived? because you didn't have that educational opportunity, if you get thrown out, if your dad just never talks to you again the way that they did, am am I going to do that? Or am I going to say to you, being out is better than being in, always. And what you should do is find an environment where you can make a connection with somebody and be out. Mm. Mm. And and that shouldn't always be a club or a Mm. bar. That should be find friends that you connect with, that you can share who you are in a genuine way. Could but be sport, I just, eh? I just in sport, I look at some of the people and I think, your occupation is your definition. You are what you do, and part you asked me earlier why why in this country do basketball people not look at me like I it was a big deal as one of the few NBA players? In part, I think it's because they can't juxtapose the idea that I'm a gay person with the fact that I was an elite sports star. One of the most depressing things that I experience, even though I don't value, overvalue my career in sport, is the idea that I worked... I started playing basketball when I was 17. Six years later, I was starting in the NBA. Yeah, starting in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But if you ask people about John Amici, what will they tell you in sport? Oh, he's the gay one. Every mm. piece of work that I did Left, leaving my mother, who was dying of cancer, going to a foreign country, living with a family that didn't give a shit about me for the first year, to, to make my way in sport. And all the narrative is, is I'm the gay one. So Can the, I ask you about the NHS? Go ahead, yeah. Because there was that report by Stonewall. I was quite surprised about it. Mm-hmm. Talking about, well, one, the mental health amongst LGBT people. Which is poor. Which is poor. Mm-hmm. And then the amount of varying degrees of discomfort that LGBT people felt going to the national health. Yeah. And I thought, I can't remember all the examples, but that really shocked me. Yeah. I mean, I was Did in it shock my. You? No, because <laughs> I see the statistics. So my trust is Manchester University's NHS Foundation Trust, which is a mouthful. Let's just call it MFT. And we have 23,000 staff. We serve probably a catchment area of uh, three just less than 3 million in, in the Northwest and around Greater Manchester. And uh, so I see the stats. So I, I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, people don't, people, people often wonder why is inclusion important? And, and then 
they think about healthcare, and it's like, well, you're just going to your doctor to talk about being sick. Mm. Why would it matter if you're gay or not? But it kind of does matter because there are elements of uh, lifestyle, of behavior, of other things that will impact. But there's also just the fact that whether it's your gender identity and making sure that your GP rightly calls you by the correct pronoun that, that, mm. that resonates with you, that matters to whether you're going to disclose. Right? Yeah, and also like having to talk to the doctor about anal sex and stuff. Yep. It's like, yep. you know, you're like, oh God, and most And really most people, most, yeah. most men, for example, gay or not, when they go to the doctor, they often go for something else than other than what they need. What they do when they go to the GP is they say, I come in and I think I sprained my ankle and it's pretty sore. And while they're messing around with the ankle, the doctor's looking at the ankle and realizing there's very little wrong with this ankle. They're deciding by the way you were, were greeted at the door, by the smile or not smile, by the whether you are at your screen looking at it or looking at your, mm. your, the patient in the room, whether they're going to say the one more thing. Doctor, there's actually one more thing. Mm. And this is the blood and the urine. This is the prostate challenge. This is the something else that might be a little more embarrassing or, or something that they think would reveal something about their identity mm. that they have to take a chance on. We know that that is the really, that's not, not the really, but it's another really expensive part, right? Because if you don't say it there, if you're in the room, I've done this very same thing with the GP practice that I go to. I've gone for one thing and it's been very clear that this person doesn't, give a shit at this moment and therefore I'm not going to say the next thing and that's what costs the NHS money right that well it's not the only thing but if you don't get treatment then the more you delay the more expensive and dangerous that gets for you it's hugely damaging because it means you have to come out on top of whatever it is that you've come in for which is often if you're in hospital at that stage you have something acute or at least very serious mm. and so the idea that on top of that you have to be negotiating and yes. think about hospitals work right we amazing diligent people and i don't want anybody to mistake this um you know this study uh, this these results for thing we don't have amazing diligent we do but you don't just meet one of them so the coming out process is actually quite difficult because you um, here's the surgeon and then there's your F1 doctor and then there's a nurse and then there's a ward manager and then there's somebody else. And so there's a million people uh, that you have to come out to. And if it's not managed well, if you don't have one central way that you can look, this is, this is Mr. Amechi. His partner is Mr. Such and such. He comes in quite often. Mm-hmm. Make sure you make them feel welcome. Mm. <laughs> don't bring your bigoted shit into their room, mm. etc. You, you don't have as good experience. I suppose education, patient. isn't it? It's then educating the people within any organisation to yeah. be mindful of <clears throat> the pronouns and the way they are around people. And somehow diffuse the fear of getting it wrong. If you know, and then you know that you screw up, just say, sorry, this, is, this was new, I, did, I meant no yeah. disrespect. I, I will get this right. It's the same thing that happens when you forget someone's name. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I know you told me what your name was, but I've forgotten and, and I'll, I'll make a better effort. It's just not hard. It's like diffusing the two-way street of shame. Like you're embarrassed to say who you are yeah. and the person opposite you is embarrassed to maybe acknowledge a confusion about who you are. Yes. But the yeah. power is, is differential, right? So if you are a trans person... 
the difficulties that you encounter on a day-to-day basis put my embarrassment to shame. Mm-hmm. And I should consider that in every environment. You are the one who has a disproportional chance of getting your head kicked in. Mm. You are the one who has a disproportional chance of having abuse yet yelled at you in a gay club, never mind on the street. Mm. I'm the one who feels a little bit embarrassed that I said the wrong word. Mm. And I just think when you put those two things on the <laughs> scales the of justice, mm. <laughs> one's a little easy. That's it. And part yeah. of the objection seems to me nothing to do with that. Part of the objection is, why should I have to call you that? I mean, maybe there's something in it yeah. in juxtaposed identities, right? Mm. The idea that mm. this is like an academic conversation where, where people think that if you're black, you cannot be intelligent. People think that if you're gay, you cannot be black. There's all kinds mm. of things that, that the Venn diagrams are not supposed to intersect if you're yes. not very knowledgeable. But the, the, the thing we're talking about with, in terms of the, 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 the correctly naming trans people is actually about misogyny because mm. you don't see this challenge from female to male. You see this challenge from male to female. And I think a fundamental part of it is simply, how dare you? Same thing with gay men and, and homophobia. Mm. A, a gay man is a man who is trying to be more like a woman to many people, because they're stupid, clearly. But that is what they think. Um, you're trying to be more feminine. How dare you abandon mm. the bastion of masculinity? It's why, regardless of whether you're gay or not, if you're fae, you receive the same kind of homo- homophobic yes. abuse, yeah, right? yeah. whether you are or not. Yeah. So, and then with trans, um, trans women, it's this idea that you were once something great and you've now chosen to be an, something, an object that I'm supposed to lust after, mm. but I can't lust after you because I know what you once were. Mm. And it's this, what are you that, doing to it's me? that mm. toxic masculinity, that mm. toxic misogyny that's really at the heart of it. And it's no harder than that. When you're talking about juxtaposed identities and, you know, people such as yourself who cause people to stop and think, do you have a big impact? Because, and then when people can hear what you're saying, because basically at the end of the day, just be your own drum and be your own person. And I think, I think for gay people, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, they feel like they have to be a certain way. It's like, no. Mm. So people such as yourself show, hang on, look at this, this guy, you know, who was a sports star, now he's mm. a psychologist. Yeah. Well, sports, I know. Sports, I know, sports player. I know, you're a bit, <laughs> I know you're a bit damning of it, but... No, know, it's, uh, no it's just there's, I'm there's sorry, it wasn't right? I'm just going to so say, though. Star. It wasn't a hobby. Mm. <laughs> I, no, I was... Be- I was this is where okay, I phrase it, right? No, you first, sorry. Well... Professional sports. There you go. I'll within take the that. NBA. Yes. Yeah. But for someone like me, who's a loved basketball. County level. That's mm. like, county level. I might be lying there. Um, <laughs> I think we've got a trial. We've got a trial. Um, you know, that's a big deal. You know, and I think it's, I think it's remarkable. I think for you to stick your head above the parapet, I think that's really important. It, uh, you might not realise how much it does for other people. Maybe you do, because you read your Twitter and... Uh, but that's you what, know. actually what I've got, I just want to ask you two things. But one of them is, is that, is that did you do that because... Did you come out because it was a bit about being principled? Or was it... No, I had every intention of coming home. I was home. 
after I retired, I was home about 36 hours later. I was in Manchester about 36 hours later after right. I retired. And I had every intention of like just shacking up in Manchester. And then if people kind of knew I was gay, because as people in Manchester did already, mm. um, but then if it came broader and then it would, so be it. Mm. But no statement. And then that changed because of Ian McKellen uh, at Manchester Pride. I saw him at Manchester Pride. And it was it was uh, it was amazing. It's always amazing to watch his impact on people, actually. But um, it was amazing because I was stood in the Manchester Cathedral Gardens. Uh, I'm not much for crowds, and so Cathedral Gardens is where I stood, watching the beginning of the parade. And everybody went by, and I look over, and there's this kid there, kind of carrying his too strong word, but suddenly hiding partially behind a tombstone and watching the parade. So my head says I interpret this as clearly not out kid who wants to just touch it just just mm. experience mm. it mm. and so I'm you know watching on the corner eye I'm watching the parade and it's amazing and then Ian McKellen comes out leather pants obviously and he's on a back of a Cadillac of some description and ridiculous open top and he's waving at everybody and then he's doing wonderful kind of generic as you I'm sure have done a million times we have to make everything like you see them and he's waving generically in the direction of the cathedral gardens. And I watch as this kid, I swear to you, he rises. He stood bolt up. He's, he puts his hand up a little bit like, until he oh, realizes. And then he looks and sees me and he pisses off. I'm like, how about that? The, how about that? Mm. You know, you're 100 meters away. And you've, you've made him rise. So that's why I decided to kind of write a book and come out officially uh, in a, to the to random strangers mm. N- not because I and people always mistake I do not think I'm Ian McKellen I do not think I'm of his status but I, I, I do look away that Ian McKellen and yourself and other people don't and so the idea that you can be you know massive black dude you can be a sports person and a psychologist and other yeah, stuff that, see all those things you can be all of that maybe there's one person who might Right. The ripples. Mm. Yeah. We never know the ripples. Mm-hmm. You talking about why are you talking about raspberry ripples? I don't. I just very serious you know, conversation. I love love chocolate. Um, He's like, I'm trying to make a, a point about intersectional existence, and you're like, Quality Street. I thought uh, he was absolutely wonderful, and I loved when he was talking about his mother. How wonderful yeah. his mother was. Mm. She was just really cool, and I got it wrong. He's a psychologist, not a psychotherapist. So, scusi, scusi, mia calpa. That is our last guest. I would, we, I would still love people to get in touch and tell us what they thought. Yeah, um, you got to. And housekeeping, I'm not sure if we have a Homo sapiens extra. We won't have a Homo sapiens extra. We won't after this. But you got to write in anyway because we love hearing from you. Yes, do. And more housekeeping. Quite literally, I'm talking about the laundry. <laughs> I sound like Lisa Tarbuck. Take it. You did sound like Lisa Tarbuck. That was brilliant. You can get your T-shirts for 14 days left only on this flash sale. There won't be another one. Mm. Everpress.com forward slash homo dash sapiens. You can get a sweater or you can get a homo sapiens T-shirt. Mm. And in order to... People keep asking, how can you order the sweater? It's a bit confusing. You can toggle between... If you click on the T-shirt thing, then you can scroll down and make it jumper head on over if you want to buy one a final song oh my god i'm feeling so inspired it's got to be elton john and blue what have i gotta do to make you homo 
What I gotta do to make you gay? What have I gotta do to make you bisexual? Transgender, transsexual, Q plus is the only way. It's not sad. It's not sad. It's not a sad, sad situation. It's getting more and more LGBTQ+. Homo sapiens. Oh, yeah, homo sapiens. Do you think Elson would want to do it with us? We could send this in. Oh, hang on, the phone's ringing. That could be him. Absolutely, it's probably Elton. Whatever, fuck off, bye. That could be him. Elton, I'm coming! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Powered by Spirit Studios.